Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Can y'all hear me okay? Good. Okay. <clears throat> My name is Todd Bankler. I'm one of the entrusted teachers here at Alpamata, if we haven't met yet. Welcome to our Sunday morning program, which consists of three periods of zazen or seated meditation. Uh, with kinhin or walking meditation in between each. And then we wrap up with a little teaching, a little mental food for thought that pairs well with our sitting practice. Um, but I just like to remind folks, you know, <clears throat> if you're here for a purpose, right, the sitting is the primary thing that we do and, and, uh, while it's always good to refine our knowledge about what we're doing with these talks and our inquiry and discussion, our, our sitting is primary. <clears throat> As the vehicle of personal transformation, that's what's been ha handed down to us for 2,500 years through this practice as it moved from India to China to Japan to San Francisco and here. So on that theme, what I thought I would bring to you this morning is a little discussion about what we're up to. Why are we here? Why are we undertaking a practice like this? And where is it going? I think sometimes it's good to take a break from may maybe our more involved sutras and, and uh, traditional scripture study, which, while pointing the same direction, tends to take a maybe a more ornate and flowery approach to it. So this is Todd's karma coming through. I'm a practical guy. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so I'm bringing my, my practical dharma to you this morning. That seemed like it might be appropriate. So let's talk about this practice, this uh, Zen training that's brought here at Appamata and through Zen centers around the world. Let's talk about what we're actually doing and why we're doing it. The primary form of this Zen training, this practice, is Zazen, or seated meditation, roughly translated in Japanese. Zen, you know, while in the uh, United States popular culture may be most associated with a spa where you get massages done, <clears throat> or some kind of um, special peaceful state, Zen in Japanese just means meditation. That's it. Uh, it. And 
its predecessor as it came across from China. Um, our lineage there was called Chan, which just means meditation in Chinese. So Zazen is just seated meditation. This is the fundamental part of our practice. This is the most important point. To assume this upright, dignified posture and to remain unmoved in a ritualistic and formal ceremony of sitting is the core of our practice. So why is that? Well, let's, let's look at what we're doing. And here we're kind of rehashing what, um, what we talk about in orientation. So there's some council members and other senior students that provide, offer an orientation just about every Sunday to newcomers. And they'll talk about some of the similar things. So in our ceremonial form of Zazen, Fundamentally, we're sitting unmoved. The instructions are, sit still. Just sit. So the primary instruction is to sit still. We cross our legs, if we're able, or just sit in a chair. And when the bell rings, the primary thing we do is sit still. This is a very sneaky training. It looks like nothing. It doesn't look like special practice. There's no bells or um, dharma wheels or flags. <clears throat> Just someone sitting there in our Soto tradition facing the wall with practitioners around them being unmoved. But this is a very important training, and this is where we begin. To be able to inhabit a way of meeting life and what's actually happening in the moment without necessarily immediately giving in to our habitual responses and our impulses to act is fundamental. This is a very, very important point to work on. To remain upright, dignified, and unmoved, literally, in the face of what's happening next, what's happening now, this is fundamental. And often we experiment with all the little ways that we can't remain unmoved when we begin. We scratch the itch on our nose, usually before we even notice we scratched it. And then when we get a little more awareness practice under our belt, perhaps we have the awareness of an itch and then decide if we're going to uh, scratch it or not. So to remain unmoved, this is our first training. And this is much more important than listening to me talk about it. I invite you to continue this practice and focus on it. 
But it's not just the way in which we are unmoved. It's the form that we take during Zazen. There are many traditional seated postures and seated forms, a lot of which were, are difficult for us in the West whose bodies have uh, naturally formed the shape of a chair over the years. <clears throat> um, and the actual posture that you use, the particular posture, whether it's full lotus or siza, that's kneeling, or sitting in a chair, the particular posture you use is not that important. What is important is paying particular attention to the posture you have. We must take care of it well. So not only are we simply remaining unmoved, we're taking care and attention which what, with what is actually there. And what is actually there is us, our physical body, sitting. Not swaying right, not swaying left, not falling over. It's not the particular posture that you assume that's important. It's paying particular attention to the posture that you have. You must own your own physical body. But when the things that these postures share, even though there are different techniques or ways of sitting, is they all are upright. And I mean this literally in terms of the physical body, and I mean it figuratively in terms of the intention, attitude, and mind that you bring to the practice, to remain upright with dignity in the face of all that's going to happen, all that's going to come up in the, on the cushion, with your struggles, your stress about your family, your work, your job, sadness that comes, joy and excitement that comes, we assume a dignified presence in the face of whatever's arising. So this is a, a second important point in our training, in our physical training. And that's a very important point I should emphasize. This is a physical training. This is not some idea about something you think you're doing. You can have many ideas, but that's not primary. This is about what you're physically doing. So that's where we begin, unmoved, upright and dignified. That's what we're physically doing. And then we learn about which mind that we bring to this physical process. We're instructed to pay attention, perhaps as a new student, to follow the breath or count the breath, just one to three, to begin to um, train the monkey mind to come back to the present moment. But we do it in a particular way. 
we bring a particular valence or flavor of mind to this upright sitting, one that's non-judgmental, one that returns without judgment. Oh my God, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I was thinking about the groceries for the last 10 minutes. That's not what we want. We want the non-judgmental mind as we return over and over again to the present moment. Jack Cornfield says, it's like training a puppy to stay on his bed. You put the puppy down and you say, stay. And as soon as you move your hands, the puppy runs off. You go over and you come back. You don't beat it, right? You come back and you set it down and you say, stay. And the puppy runs off. We repeat this over and over again, 10,000 times with our puppy mind. But bringing the flavor of non-judgment gentle awareness with what's actually happening. This is how we train. And then the bell rings and we're told to get up. Wait, I just started figuring out what, what was going on in the cushion. And then we bring this same meditation process, the same zazen, into kinhin, which is slow walking meditation. We take our training, our first baby steps of being unmoved, upright, dignified, non-judging, returning, and present into motion. This is our first step of taking it to the world. And there's a particular form and care and pace that the walking happens in. And as, as I was in the zendo this morning by myself, I was remembering all the Sundays with packed houses in here. At some points in our waxing and waning of popularity and attendance here, um, we used to have many times where this room would be full, where the line of people trying to walk all the way around the outside of the room was front to back and back to front, a foot between each person, 30 or 40 people in the room. And this is great training in interdependence. You cannot walk if the person in front of you is not walking. There's nowhere to go. The person behind you cannot walk if you're not walking. There's nowhere for them to go. Like a snake eating its own tail, sometimes we would get stuck because no one could start. Everyone must start. When everyone starts, it's started. When someone doesn't start, 
there's no starting. So we take our training off the cushion, our first step into the world. And we begin to notice interdependence. The other thing you may notice about Zen is there's a lot of ritualistic form. By forms, the way we hold our hands in gasho, not with your elbows down, not away from you, fingertips just below your lips, arms parallel to the floor, shoulders back. Why? I don't really know the answer about how the particular forms came, except mostly they're related to the long floor, flowing Japanese robes that wouldn't let you put your hands down or else the sleeves fell to the floor. <clears throat> so we have these forms and they can look like a window dressing, like, oh no, we do the, we do the training, we do the practice on the cushion. And there, yeah, they ask us to do these little bows before you come and go. You know, it's a cultural thing. Often students think that the forms are a window dressing to the practice. This is not the case. The forms are a very important part of training. You're asked, can you do a specific task in a specific order, paying very close particular attention to how you're doing it, why you're doing it. When you bow, can you only bow? When you bow, can you know that there's only bowing in the world for that bow? When you approach your cushion, we bow to our cushion. We turn clockwise to the right. If someone was looking down on you, 180 degrees, we bow to the room, to everyone who's practicing with us, to pay homage and respect for the practice they're sharing with us. We turn 180 degrees to the right and we bow again. This is not extra. This is your training. The peace you're looking for is at the end of that bow. We take care with what we're doing now, with how we approach the altar, and we practice bringing that care to our next action. This is training. And we develop a reverence for everything we do. A reverence for our cushion, a reverence for those practicing next to us, until we can no longer understand if it's ordinary or if it's holy. We break down the lines between ordinariness and holiness until there's just this vow 
just that friend across from the table from you at lunch. And then as our training progresses, we're introduced to sashin, or intensives as we call them here. Many people would call them retreats, silent meditation retreats. Joko hated the word retreat, and she wouldn't let anyone use it. She would say, what are you retreating from? That's not what we're doing here. Our intensives, in many ways, are the opposite of retreat. It's where you go and you strip away every distraction, everything you have to do in your life, until there's nothing left to do, only this moment, and you're forced to face all the ways you've been retreating through your life. In these intenses, which will go from dusk, or dawn till dusk, 6 to 30 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, six to seven hours of meditation interspersed with meals and talks and walks, all in silence and stillness. We encounter our next training, surrender. Suzuki Roshi used to say, in a sashin, sashin in Japanese means to collect body and mind. So it's a time of focus where you collect body and mind. He would say that sashins was like putting a snake in a bamboo tube. It would try and wriggle, but it can't. Try and figure a way to wriggle out. Joko used to call them intenses manufactured crisis. We're put into a bamboo tube. We're put into a very tightly controlled container where we have to surrender our ideas of our preferences about when we want to eat, when we want to sit, what we want to do next. We must surrender to the schedule and just do what's next. This is very important training. I wish every one of you today, when you leave, tomorrow when you go to work, I wish for you to be able to just do what's next. I want you to experience that. And finally, the last training point I'll make is where it comes from. And the ground that it happens on. So literally, where does it come from? And this is not philosophical, this is actually just, you know, literal. It 
comes from your teacher. It comes from whoever taught you how to sit down, taught you how to bow. In Zen, we say it is a special transmission, something that's transmitted, a special transmission outside all words and scriptures. That means you won't find it in the writings. A special transmission outside all words and scriptures, passed down warm hand to warm hand. This may be the most important point. This is not a solitary endeavor. If you think you can do it, that's your egoic mind. Be very, very careful with egoic mind. If you think you can do it alone, that is your small mind. The relationship with the teacher, to see someone who's trained and has brought this clear, cool water to share it with their friends, is an important part of our training. The opportunity for private practice discussion to test out the stories that you're swimming in to get an outside reflection from someone who's stepped in all the same ditches along the way. It's very, very important. Please don't lose sight of this. So we're here to train understand suffering, the cause of suffering and its relinquishment. To find the joy and ease in life. To step off the cushion and carry it to the world. Just like the swimmer who has trained his body over the decades, assumes the shape of the swimmer's body. Just like the gymnast who has practiced gymnastics over the decades, assumes the shape of the gymnast's body. So the Zen practitioner, after training for decades, assumes the shape of the Zen mind. We have a little time for questions or reflections or adverse reactions that you want to talk about. I'm happy to hear them. I'd just like to say something if that's all right. I loved that, what you said, um, the piece that you're looking for is at the end of that bow. 
And I think I started stitching about 20 years ago. And I think it was 10 years in before I even understood or got that. You know, I saw the people doing the forms and, and didn't understand them at all and thought, why are they doing them? And it took 10 years of sitting and for me, to, for the practice to really get into my system before I could really understand that, that bowing and the forgetting of the forms, you know, like coming to my seat and think, oh my goodness, I didn't bow. And it being a reflection of where I'm at in my present moment, am I here? You know, and um, it was like the forms and the practice and life all gradually becoming one. You know, it's kind of, um, they're not separate at all. You know, it's, there's just no separation. But it was only like, like I said, for 20 years sitting, but 10 years in, I started to sit with other people. And that was when everything began to change. You know, the communi communicating with people about the practice, sharing it, sitting with others that made me stay in those wriggles. You know, you talk about that bamboo stick and, you know, the snake inside of it. And, you know, on my own, I could just get up and move and do what I wanted. But sitting with others really encouraged that staying, you know, but it really amazes me how many reminders you know, we all still need that I still need, you know, and, and like people like yourself to have have those voices inside of me. I mean, like tomorrow I'll be sitting and I'll hear you talking about the puppy, you know, and about staying and about how we really need those reminders every day, you know, amongst each other. And and we never I've never got to the point where I don't need those reminders, you know, it's a constant coming back again and again and again, but how gradually you stand up and you take it off the cushion. And especially through the pandemic where we've been sitting in our homes and then walking down the stairs, you know, and going into the kitchen and making a cup of tea and how, how being present in those tasks changes everything. You know, if we bring, bring present, presence to every moment and everything, it changes everything. It changes how we feel. It changes our relationship to the world, to, um, you know, like, like um, Thich Nhat Hanh would say, you know, to no man things, you know, things that are no man. You know, it changes our relationship to flowers, to nature, to everything, because we become more present and more there. You know, the forms, practice and life all just become one. And but yet still needing the constant reminders again and again and again, it never ends. And you'd think we'd learn, wouldn't you? And we'd just get there. But that's why we need each other, because of our minds, we never get there. We just endeavour to keep coming back again and again. Well, at least that's that's what it's like for me. So, yeah, I really appreciate today and and just always having the reminders, always having a way and a voice within me to come back. And that's only in relation with other that I can keep on that track, on that path alone. I think I'd kind of wander off or, you know, it's too easy to just wonder, you know, whereas together we can, like, like is often said, we can all walk each other home and keep doing that. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. They're new uh, to this community, and I would say over the last three months, 
I've been what an observer online of what's going on, but I wouldn't call myself a participant yet. But um, your message, your can you hear me? I did. I said you wouldn't call yourself a participant yet, but yet here you are. I know um, your message um, resonated so strongly with me. Um, I can. I now you gave me um, through those wonderfully stated steps a, a, a context to what I've been observing and um, what was once or before today might have seemed confusing or not sure. I, I really appreciate you sharing the connectivity of those steps uh, with someone like me. Um, and now I feel free and, and engaged to become a participant and not just an observer. So thank you. It's Kim next. Yeah, Todd, this was one of my favorite Dharma talks ever. So thank you for that. One one thing I wonder about is um, my wife and I have been reading um, cooking cooking your life again, uh, cooking your life, and and she's been asking so so what's the difference between being Tenzo, which is the cook, and sitting, or as you were saying, um, you know, bowing to the cushion or sitting is or Kinhan, or you know, aren't they all the same in a way? But but um, you know, and then she was asking, well, why do you need to do the if you're Tenzo and really mindful in that job? Why do you need to sit also, which she claims you need to do? So those are questions in my mind. Oh, okay. Well. Tenzo practice is advanced practice, right? It's, uh, it's not that it's different. It's not that it's a different thing. It's, it's um, the difference between, I'm thinking of trying to think of a good analogy. It's, a, it's all gymnastics. That's the difference between telling, training someone how to do, you know, a forward roll and how to do a triple backflip. We start on a cushion. We start unmoved. We start with no external input. That's what I'm looking for. I used to say, I love this, this uh, uh, metaphor analogy, but it's so dated, no one gets it. But you know, back in the 80s, they had the, the movie War Games where this computer is running muck and it's about to start World War III, you know, artificial intelligence all on its own. And they're trying to get the computer to, to learn fast enough to realize starting world war is not a good idea. And so the scientist finally says, how do you make it play itself in the game? And it says, set number of players zero, and then turn it back on. And that's what Zazen is to me. It's number of players zero. There's no one there pissing you off. There's no one there dropping the dishes in the, you know, in the tenzo, in the, in the kitchen, but yet anger arises, fear arises, panic arises, right? And so we learn in this environment where 
no one else is doing it to us, all the ways in which we come forward and meet our experience in good and bad ways. And in that simplified laboratory space, we learn faster. Right, so for those who are firmly rooted in the practice of process, then they have a decent chance of taking that to cooking a meal and not losing it. Thank you very much, Todd. It's a very wonderful talk. Um, and will stay with me, like Maria said. Um, I had a question that uh, came to me as I listened to Maria um, talking, and I wanted to ask you, what is the thing at the beginning? I mean, we talk about 10 years in and I got it or I got something and it made sense to me or five years after I started, this happened or it took me six months before that happened. What is the thing that kept you coming at the beginning before one of those? I mean, what, what, is, the, what is each thing along the way? Does that make sense to you? Oh, what is the thing? What is, why, why come at the beginning? I mean, what is the thing that, that makes this something we continue to do early on when we're new to the practice? Ooh, well, there's probably as many answers to that as there are practitioners, but I think they mostly have a common thread of seeking something, seeking some relief, some freedom, and having some inclination in your bones when you start this that it feels like it might be it. What was it like for you? You started at one point, and you've stayed a long time. Yeah, I think that I did get, I did really want um, peace and connection and um, feeling at home in the world. And I began to feel that. I began to have glimpses of that. And that was, and is, what keeps me sitting. Good morning. Good morning, Todd. Um, good morning, everyone. I want to echo Kim's words, one of my all-time favorite talks ever. It was uh, um, resonating on so many levels and um, I something something happened when you said the particular sentence because it was in addition when you said sitting is a ceremony 
I sat with that word. But what came up when you said ceremony was this, I don't know how else to describe it, but this lightness of being that made the, the reality of sitting being a ceremony also being for me a celebration. And I, my body and I connected both of those words because not only does the ceremony um, of walking, of sitting, of that next breath, of that next being here now and knowing I'm here now, for now, um, reinforce and form me and others that I've seen in a way that I can then carry it from my cushion to my life more consistently, not always. Um, there is celebration in that. There is um, celebration in peace and contentment with now and what is. And so thank you for bringing all of that up in your talk and for taking it from the esoteric to the step-by-step, connect-the-dots, moment-by-moment, the why and the how. Thank you. Oh, good morning, Todd, and thank you so much. Um, yeah, really, um, it resonated pretty deeply for me. Um, it reminded me of when Flint says, um, how simple can you make it? And um, the challenge for me is what you said was your wish for us to, um, I, I can't really remember the exact words, but somehow that you would, we would take every next thing as, can you say it? <laughs> to be able to just do what's next. That's it. And um, carrying the, um, the reverence um, of our practice. When we leave today, for example, so that's a challenge for me. Thank you so much. Thank you for your very open expression of what touched you and sharing it with us. All right, well, it's almost 10.50, so there are no other burning questions. We'll wrap up. <laughs>